Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the San Jose Halloween murders. But first, your true crime headlines. A Montana man has been sentenced to 80 years in prison for killing a six-month-old boy while babysitting. 34-year-old Jason Allen Badger was taking care of Christopher Hackerett on June 29, 2017, when the infant became inconsolable. According to authorities, Badger then shook the baby and slammed his head on a fan. The child died the next day. An autopsy later revealed that the child had been suffering from an ear infection and a genital infection. He died from multiple blunt force trauma injuries to the head and hemorrhaging in both eyes. District Judge Mary Jane Nisley said that Badger did not seek medical attention and did not tell the baby's mother. Instead, he put the child to bed. Badger initially claimed to investigators that the infant fell from his knee while he was bouncing him, but later told the truth and took responsibility for the child's death, saying, quote, I lost my cool. Badger had 20 years of his 80-year sentence suspended during sentencing Tuesday in district court. Unless a judge says otherwise, he will be eligible for parole after serving a quarter of his sentence, in Badger's case, 15 years. Badger was also ordered to pay $220 in restitution to the child's mother for counseling. In Grand Rapids, a 40-year-old man has been charged with open murder and arson in connection with a fatal fire at a Western Michigan home. At around 11 a.m. Sunday, firefighters responded to a 911 call reporting smoke coming from a home on Oakwood Avenue. After firefighters were able to extinguish the flames, they found 41-year-old Todd Cappendick's remains inside the house. The Kent County Medical Examiner's Office determined that the victim's cause of death was multiple blows to the head and ruled the death a homicide. According to Grand Rapids Police, 40-year-old Chad Bruning of Kentwood was expected to be arraigned Wednesday. This was the third house fire in Grand Rapids this year to be linked to a homicide and the city's 30th homicide victim of 2020. Authorities are offering a $5,000 reward for information that could help solve a likely homicide of a northern Michigan woman who disappeared in 1988. Victoria Salis of Boyne Falls was a 69-year-old waitress at Pippin's, a restaurant in Boyne City, when she vanished. Her car was found in her driveway, and her purse and keys were left behind inside the house. State police last year used a drone to take photos of her property, and a dig in the area was also conducted. But the body has never been found. Sheriff Chuck Vondra told the Associated Press in 2019 that DNA has been collected from family members and people who were in prison with potential suspects were interviewed. Sheriff Vondra said that he knew Vicky personally when he was a teenager. I was in high school, Vondra said, and got a part-time job at the same restaurant as a busboy. What a wonderful person. Sheriff Vondra said, it's not too late for people with information to come forward, 
saying, quote, Sometimes it's the small pieces that put a big case together. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the San Jose Halloween murders. But first, a quick break. After you've finished binging all the latest episodes of your favorite true crime show, you might find yourself wondering, now what? It's times like these when I decide to clear my head and a few levels of Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games. It's simple and fun. The good guys are the bugs and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs as you travel through the world of minutia, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way, like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. One of the things I love about true crime is that the more you dig into the story, the more layers you uncover. And that's what's great about Best Fiends too. The more I play, the more fun it gets. I'm on level 180, and with new monthly updates, themed challenges, and now new Halloween puzzles, there's always one more level, and the adventure never gets old. This is my pandemic must-play. So the next time you need a break from the news cycle, or run out of shows to binge-watch, download Best Fiends free. You might find yourself wondering how you ever found time for a dull moment before. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already. It's hours of fun at your fingertips and can even be played offline. This game has 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews for a reason. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. These days, I'm eating at home for almost every meal, and I don't have a lot of time for grocery shopping, meal planning, or cooking, but I still want high-quality, sustainably sourced, wholesome meals at home. That's why I decided to try Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable, with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Their meal plans include paleo, plant-powered, keto, and balanced living. Green Chef's expert chefs design flavorful recipes, whatever your lifestyle, that go way beyond ordinary substitutions. With Green Chef, I can choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow meal plans with select organic ingredients and plenty of options every week delivered right to my door. Green Chef makes it easy for me to eat well and to discover new recipes every week that even I will love to cook. This saves me so much time while I'm working from home. Recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step -step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. Ingredients are seasonally sourced for peak freshness, come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. So no matter what your cooking skill level, you'll get perfect results. Green Chef makes cooking easy, with dinner options that work around your lifestyle, not the other way around. Plus, 
Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box so that I can feel great about what I'm eating and how it got to my table. Let Green Chef do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week. Use code MURDERMINUTE80 to get $80 off your first month, plus free shipping on your first box. Go to greenchef.com slash MURDERMINUTE80 to redeem and for more details. That's greenchef.com slash MURDERMINUTE80. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Doreen Ray Hitchens was born in Santa Clara, California in 1952. Doreen grew up in a tight-knit loving family, went on to study medicine, and became a physical therapist in San Jose. That's when Doreen met William Michael Dennis. William, who went by the nickname Mike, worked as a sprayer at the nearby Lockheed factory. Mike had suffered a significant hearing loss as a child, which caused him to stammer. He would stare at others in order to read their lips and needed a hearing aid. When he was nine years old, Mike's parents divorced and he developed an eating disorder. By age 19 or 20, Mike was suicidally depressed and, quote, unable to get any girlfriends. But all that changed when he met Doreen. After only a few months of dating, they got married, and Doreen soon gave birth to a baby boy, Paul Dennis. But the marriage didn't last. Mike and Doreen divorced the following year. And in 1977, Doreen won primary custody of their son, Paul, with little argument from Mike, who agreed to have him on the weekends. Mike adored his son, but couldn't seem to get over the divorce. Doreen moved on. In 1979, she married a local carpet store owner, Charles Herbert. And with three-year-old Paul, moved into Charles's house. On November 26th of that same year, the two welcomed their first child together, a daughter, Deanna Herbert. Mike lived about six blocks from the Herbert home and would come to the house to pick up Paul on the weekends for his visits. But three months later, in February of 1980, tragedy struck when four-year-old Paul climbed through the fence that surrounded the Herbert's backyard swimming pool and fell in. By the time Doreen realized what had happened, it was too late. Paul spent a week on life support, but died three days after respirators and feeding tubes were removed. Mike blamed Doreen for Paul's death and didn't believe that she mourned him because he couldn't see her suffering. Mike said that he thought that he was the only person who was sad at Paul's funeral. 
The next year, Mike filed a wrongful death suit against Charles and Doreen for Paul's drowning. And in March of 1982, the case went to trial. The jury ruled in the Herbert's favor. Upon hearing their verdict, Mike wailed, she got away with it. In the courtroom after the trial, Charles asked Mike not to come to the house anymore. Over the next two years, Mike's mental health deteriorated. He told one of his co-workers that he believed that Doreen killed Paul because she wasn't watching him. To Mike, his son was murdered. He even came to believe that Doreen had wanted Paul to die. In early October of 1984, Mike lost his position as a sprayer at Lockheed. To avoid being laid off, he accepted a job reduction. Mike went from making tiles for the space shuttle to working in Lockheed's document reproduction unit. The change meant that his pay would be reduced from $13.53 per hour to $10.99 per hour. While Mike's life seemed to be falling apart, the Herberts had some good news to celebrate. Doreen was pregnant and expecting a son. The baby was due in early November, just after Halloween. On Halloween night, October 31st, 1984, a now heavily pregnant Doreen took four-year-old Deanna out trick-or-treating, while Charles handed out candy at home. When Doreen and Deanna returned to the house, Charles decided to make a quick stop by the liquor store. It was almost 9 p.m. As Charles got into his truck, he told Doreen that it was getting late and suggested that she close up the house for the evening. Charles would later estimate that he was only gone for about 15 minutes. Sometime around 9 p.m., there was a loud knock on the front door. Doreen opened the door. In front of her stood a man wearing a wolf mask. In his hand was an 18-inch machete. Get out of my house, Doreen said. I'm going to kill you, the man in the wolf mask said. Doreen told Deanna to hide, so she did. When Charles returned from the store, he noticed that his front door was unlocked. When he opened the door, he saw Doreen laying on the floor covered in blood. Then he saw the fetus on the living room floor. At first, Charles thought that his wife had suffered a miscarriage, but then he noticed 
her severed hand laying next to the fetus. Doreen had been struck repeatedly in the head and body with a large blade. Her left hand was completely severed, and her eight-month-old fetus had been cut from her abdomen and hacked to pieces. She was now bleeding to death on the floor. Charles attempted to stop Doreen's bleeding by holding her severed arm tightly, but Doreen was bleeding from her stomach and neck as well. As Charles ran to the telephone to call for help, he slipped in Doreen's blood and fell. Deanna emerged from her hiding place in the living room, and Charles rushed her into the kitchen away from the horrific scene. Deanna told him that she heard the baby crying. Charles called 911 but couldn't get through, so he called the fire department and a neighbor for help. When first responders got to the scene, they discovered Charles hysterical and covered in blood. Deanna was taken out of the house and sat with their neighbor Jenny Chapman in her car. Deanna told Jenny that the man who attacked her mother threatened Deanna that if she told anyone what happened, he would kill her too. When the paramedics arrived, Charles tried to assist them with Doreen, who was barely clinging to life. When he tried to follow as the paramedics put Doreen into the ambulance, police arrested him. Doreen died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And for the next hour, Charles sat cuffed in the back of a patrol car, kicking and screaming as police searched the house. You could see that the hallway was red and then that there was a stool with a pumpkin on it, retired San Jose Police Department detective Bert Carroll recalled in an interview for Snapped. Near the front door, they found a wolf mask with large teeth, big bulging eyes, and a stuck-out tongue. They also found a trail of blood. Police followed it from the door all the way down the block where it suddenly stopped, presumably at the spot that the killer must have parked his getaway vehicle. Investigators gathered samples for blood type testing Officers began questioning Charles, and another team of investigators interviewed the neighbors. Over the course of the next few hours, authorities learned about the couple's history with Mike and the tragic death of their son Paul. By 12.23 a.m., they were at Mike's home. As they approached the residence, police shined their flashlights into Mike's truck in the driveway. There was blood all over it, on the steering wheel, on the key, and on the gearshift knob. The light was on in the bedroom, and as the police approached the front door, they heard running water. They knocked and rang the doorbell. 
No answer. They tried again. Still nothing. Police had county communication telephone the house. When Mike answered the phone, they told him that the police were outside and asked him to answer the door. Mike finally opened the door, wearing a bathrobe. Sergeant James Morin told Mike that his ex-wife had been attacked and asked if they might speak with him. He invited them to come in. When Mike sat down at the kitchen table, Sergeant Morin told him that Doreen had been murdered. You're kidding, he replied. Investigators noticed that Mike's hand had been freshly cut and was visibly bleeding through a gauze bandage on his right hand. Mike claimed that it was from playing with a knife. He told them that he had nothing to hide and agreed to let them do a search of his home. In the garage, police found blood drops in front of the washer and dryer and a trail of blood that led outside. They also found a pair of blood-stained jeans on his bed, blood on a set of keys in the bedroom, and bloody bandaging in the bathroom garbage. I see all this gauze, all this blood, Caro told snapped, and I say, you're under arrest for murder. So I handcuffed him. In a second search of the home, police found a receipt from a hardware store where Mike purchased the machete. In his garage, they also found two handmade coffins, one for Charles and another smaller one for Doreen, as well as two hand-stitched body bags, weights, and a map of the San Francisco Bay. Mike's initial plan had been to drown Charles and Doreen as retribution for Paul's death. A psychiatrist, Dr. Benson, would later suggest that on Halloween night, Mike became enraged and overwhelmed by longing for his son, triggered by trick-or-treating children. On November 5th, 1984, after his blood type was matched to the crime scene, Mike Dennis was charged with murder with special circumstances. The wolf mask was identified as one that Mike wore to a Halloween party one year before the attack on Doreen. A picture of Mike wearing the cartoonish wolf mask and a matching pair of rubber hands was admitted into evidence. In July of 1988, after a three-week trial, a jury of two women and ten men deliberated a little more than two days before finding William Michael Dennis guilty of first-degree murder for the death of Doreen Herbert and second-degree murder for the death of her unborn fetus. He was sentenced to die in the gas chamber. William Michael Dennis is currently sitting on death row at San Quentin State Prison, awaiting execution.
This has been Murder Minute. For true crime, anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.